Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Nisa. Welcome to another episode of the Lost Crimes Library podcast. This is the story of the wrongful conviction of Lamar Johnson. Today's case will be a little different. Today's story is about how a young man was murdered and how his killer was supposedly brought to justice. But over the years, it would turn out that everybody got it wrong and that authorities put the wrong man in prison. So let's start from the beginning. The murder. At 9 p.m. on October 30th, 1994, Marcus Boyd was sitting on his front porch talking with his friend Greg Elking in St. Louis, Missouri. As the two were chatting, they were approached by two masked gunmen. The gunmen ran up to Marcus and Greg and demanded Greg to get off the porch. Then the masked gunmen grabbed Marcus and roughed him up before they fired multiple shots at him. Then the masked gunmen ran away, and Greg Elking ran away too. Marcus's girlfriend, Leslie Williams, called 911 at 9.07 p.m. When paramedics arrived, Marcus Boyd was taken to a local hospital, where he was pronounced dead at 9.55 p.m. The next day, when detectives began investigating the shooting, they spoke with Leslie, Marcus's girlfriend. They wanted to speak with her because she was upstairs in the apartment with their daughter when the shooting happened. Detectives wanted to know if she heard anything or saw anything suspicious or maybe even got a look at one of the shooters. Leslie told detectives that a man named Greg was sitting on the porch with Marcus when he was shot and killed. And when detectives asked her who she suspected could have done this, she mentioned Lamar Johnson, a longtime friend of Marcus who she believed recently had a falling out with him. The lead detective in the case, Detective Nickerson, wrote in his report that Marcus's girlfriend believed that Lamar Johnson was responsible and that the two men had argued about missing drugs and stolen money. However, the girlfriend would later state in a pretrial deposition that although Marcus and Lamar were no longer close, she couldn't think of a reason that Lamar would want to kill Marcus. So who is Lamar Johnson? Lamar Johnson grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and in 1994, the year that Marcus Boyd was killed, Lamar was a 20-year-old father of two. He had a job at Jiffy Lube while he attended community college in St. Louis. But Lamar had a side hustle, a rather dangerous one. Sometimes Lamar would sell small amounts of crack 
to make extra money. And this information would end up being a significant factor in the investigation because Marcus Boyd also had the same side hustle. Marcus Boyd knew Greg Elking from working together at a printing company. Eventually, the two started up a friendship, but they also had a relationship that involved Marcus's side hustle. Marcus Boyd was selling drugs and Greg Elking was his occasional customer. On the night of the shooting, Greg was looking to get high, but he didn't have enough money to buy any. So without money, Greg brought an answering machine with him that night to make a trade. But that night, Marcus didn't want to sell Greg the drugs. According to Greg, Marcus reminded Greg that they both had work in the morning, and so doing drugs wouldn't be wise. For a while, the two joked around and laughed together until Marcus suddenly became very serious, and that is when the gunman approached them and shot and killed Marcus. Scared by what he saw, Greg Elking ran away, as we already know. But soon, it would be revealed that Greg Elking was the only witness to the shooting. And so, Greg Elking couldn't stay away forever. Police needed his help with the investigation. After detectives learned about Greg Elking from Marcus's girlfriend, they tried to reach out to him. He was the only eyewitness, and he could really help the police get a lead of who the killers were. But understandably, Greg was terrified of coming forward. For one, this man just witnessed his friend get murdered right in front of him. But also, he was a surviving witness and unfortunately, being a snitch can get you killed. And Greg Elking knew this and feared this. Meanwhile, Detective Nickerson interviewed several individuals who had purchased drugs from Marcus Boyd and Lamar Johnson. According to Nickerson's report, Ed Nager and Don Bird, who were customers of Marcus and Lamar, each described parts of the alleged dispute between Marcus and Lamar. Don said that Marcus told her that he believed Lamar was following him. However, both Don and Ed later said in pre-trial depositions that Detective Nickerson's report was inaccurate. Eventually, Greg Elking reached out to detectives four days later to offer his help. Greg has said that he came forward to offer his help after he met the lead detective on the case. He said the lead detective reminded him of one of those cops from detective movies. And so I guess this made Greg comfortable or made the idea of helping the police more appealing to him. When he sat down with police, he told Detective Nickerson that the two gunmen were wearing dark masks over their heads. Greg also told detectives that he could tell the two shooters were dark-skinned black men and that each were carrying a gun. He described one as being 5'9 and that the other man was taller, but Greg didn't provide any additional descriptions. He made it clear that he only saw the eyes of one of the shooters through the mask. It was difficult for Greg to get a good look at the suspects because the shooting took place at night and on a dimly lit street. But even though Greg reminded the detective that he didn't get a good look at the shooters, he alleges that Detective Nickerson insisted on showing him several photo arrays of potential suspects. As he pored over the photos, Greg said one of the men stood out to him because of his eyes, and the photo he was referencing was the photo of Lamar Johnson. Then, according to Greg, Nickerson asked him to sign the back of the photo to confirm that Greg was identifying Lamar Johnson as one of the suspects. But Greg says he refused to sign it because, quote, I didn't want nothing to do with it because I couldn't pick out no murderers, end quote. But 
Greg's refusal to sign didn't really phase detectives. And so with a name from Marcus's girlfriend and with what they considered a photo identification from Greg Elking, detectives felt they had a reason to focus on Lamar Johnson. And so that's what they did. On November 3rd, 1994, four days after the murder, Lamar was giving his friend Philip Campbell a ride home when officers pulled them over and arrested both of them. When taken back to the police station, Lamar Johnson agreed to do a photo lineup. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see in the photo that Lamar is in the third position, wearing the white pants. After arranging Lamar in the lineup, Detective Nickerson brought in the lone witness, Greg Elking, to try to make an identification. Greg viewed the lineup twice, and both times didn't make an identification. But on the third viewing, Greg was able to make an identification. However, he identified the person in the fourth position, who was a filler from the jail and was not considered one of the suspects. So again, Greg was asked to look at the lineup and make an identification. This time, Greg viewed a different lineup. Lamar Johnson was not in this lineup, but the other suspect, Philip Campbell, was in the fourth position. And again, Greg Elking was unable to make an identification. Greg has said that after he struggled with the lineups, he felt like he really let down Detective Nickerson. According to Greg, he told the detective, quote, you tell me what the numbers were and I'll tell you if they were correct, end quote. He says Detective Nickerson replied with three and four, and then Greg said he told Detective Nickerson, you're right, three and four. However, I want to note that Detective Nickerson denies these claims. He has said, quote, I went where the facts, evidence, and circumstances took me, end quote. So this was considered an accurate identification of the suspects. This meant Lamar Johnson and Philip Campbell were accused of being Marcus Boyd's killers. Dwight Warren, the original prosecutor in this case, says at the time he pressed Greg Elking on his identification of Lamar Johnson. And Warren said that Greg Elking said he was telling the truth. So he went through with charging both Lamar Johnson and Philip Campbell. Detective Nickerson interviewed Lamar about the murder, but Lamar denied any involvement in the shooting. Lamar said he was with his girlfriend on Lafayette Avenue, about three miles away from Marcus Boyd's home. Lamar said that that night, he took his girlfriend and their infant to the home of one of their friends, who lived at the corner of Lafayette Avenue, where he was selling drugs that night. He said when he got there, he stepped out briefly for about five minutes to make the drug deal and then he came back. And according to Erica Barrow, Lamar's girlfriend, she and their five-month-old daughter were inside the house when the shooting happened. Erica claimed that Lamar only briefly left the house once to make a transaction. Erica, who was changing their baby's diaper when Lamar left, says he was back just when she was finishing and cleaning everything up. Minutes after Lamar returned to his friend's house, he got a call that Marcus Boyd was shot several blocks away from where Lamar was selling drugs. And it made sense that Lamar would have gotten word about Marcus's shooting. Because in 1994, we know that Marcus and Lamar were both friends who were involved with selling drugs. So they knew each other. The next day was when Lamar learned that Marcus was dead. After Detective Nickerson learned this information, Lamar's side of the story, he stopped questioning Lamar Johnson. At around 8 p.m. on the day of Lamar Johnson's arrest, Detective Ralph Campbell, who has no relation to the suspect, Philip Campbell, arrived for his shift. He asked Detective Nickerson if he could speak with Lamar Johnson about an unrelated matter. Detective Campbell would later write in his report that in the conversation with Lamar, Lamar made inculpatory statements 
about the Marcus Boyd shooting, including that, quote, he let the white guy live, end quote, referring to Greg Elking. Detective Campbell said in his report that in this interview, Lamar Johnson refused to allow a recorded statement. So this would suggest we have to take the detective's word for it since there is no recording of how the actual interview went down. On November 4th, Lamar Johnson and Philip Campbell were charged with first-degree murder and armed criminal action. And on November 5th, an inmate in the jail named William Mock asked to speak with a homicide detective. He told Detective Ronald Jackson that he heard Lamar Johnson confess to the murder to Philip Campbell and another man known only as Lamont. And just like with Lamar Johnson's interview with Detective Campbell, Mock's statement wasn't recorded. After Mock gave his statement, he returned to his cell, but he spoke with Detective Jackson the next day. This time, Detective Jackson recorded the interview. According to Detective Jackson's report, quote, Mock stated he overheard Campbell ask Johnson, you don't think they, meaning the police, got enough to convict us, do you? Lamar replied, they, meaning the police, don't have the gun. They don't have Terrell, and they don't have the white boy. And as long as the white boy ain't snitching, we're cool. And we're going to take care of the white boy, end quote. According to the report, Mock heard Philip Campbell ask Lamar Johnson, quote, what if they get Terrell with the gun and they lean on him? He'll snitch on us about the robbery we did on the south side and the white boy you shot, end quote. With this information, detectives felt they had enough information to move forward with the case and continue toward a trial. So in July 1995, Lamar Johnson went on trial. Detective Clyde Bailey testified that on August 17, 1994, he stopped Lamar Johnson, searched his car, and found a dark mask with a single eye hole, which was introduced into evidence. However, Lamar's attorney moved to exclude the mask, arguing that this item was seized in relation to a different crime that happened 10 weeks before the murder and had no probative value. However, the judge denied the motion. Greg Elking, the prosecution's star witness, also testified. He testified that the men who shot Marcus wore ninja-style masks that were open around the eyes and that he was able to identify Lamar Johnson as one of the suspects by Lamar's lazy eye. Elking also testified that the mask that the detective said he found in Lamar's car in August was the same type worn by the men who shot and killed Marcus Boyd. And when Greg was asked about the lineup in which he selected someone other than Lamar Johnson, as the shooter, Greg said that he initially selected the wrong person in the lineup because he was intimidated. Leslie Williams, Marcus Boyd's girlfriend, also took the stand. She testified that she was giving her daughter a bath at the time of the shooting, and that when she heard gunshots, she ran downstairs and she saw two men wearing black masks. While Leslie didn't see the shooter's faces, she testified that she knew Lamar Johnson and that, quote, his eye is lazy, it's like the whole side of his face is kind of slanted, end quote. Up next on the stand was Detective Campbell. He was there to testify about the incriminating statement that he said Lamar made to him after his arrest. On the stand, he said that he had intended to talk to Lamar about an unrelated incident in the neighborhood where Marcus was shot, but that Lamar had, quote, turned the interview in another direction, end quote. He was suggesting that Lamar used that interview to divulge information about the murder, in which Lamar incriminated himself. And to help bolster the prosecution's case, they called forward William Mock, that jailhouse informant with a lengthy criminal history. But before we get into his testimony, let's talk about how William Mock 
made it to the stand. In June 1995, William Mock was writing to prosecutors in St. Louis, offering to assist in their case against Lamar Johnson. He wrote, quote, I am willing to testify as long as I do not have to return to the Department of Corrections once I testify. I can't. I won't live in protective custody or any institution once I testify, end quote. Ideally, he wanted a reduction in his sentence or a pardon from the governor. He wrote, quote, I am positive that this can be worked out for the good of all. I will uphold my end of this situation as I am positive you will fulfill your obligations to me, end quote. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On the stand, the jailhouse informant testified that he overheard Lamar Johnson and Philip Campbell in a holding cell talking about the murder. He confirmed on the stand that he told investigators he overheard one of them say, quote, we should have shot that white boy. End quote, apparently referring to Greg Elking. He also said he heard a man from a nearby cell who identified himself as Lamar Johnson shouting, quote, they didn't have the gun, end quote. The following day, Mock testified again, saying that the same man, Lamar, talked about a robbery and murder on the city's south side. However, it is important to note that the police could find no record of this robbery or murder. Mock also testified that he asked for little in exchange for his testimony, only that the prosecutor could write to the parole board on his behalf. But we know that he exchanged quite a lot for his testimony. 
he said that he would only testify if it meant he was a free man. And asking for freedom is the opposite of asking for a little. It's asking for everything. Given that Mock had a criminal history, which would cast doubt on his credibility, the prosecutor said that he checked out William Mock's claim saying, quote, he was in two jail cells away. He was in a position to be able to hear that, end quote. However, under cross-examination, Mock testified that he was never in the same cell as Johnson and that he did not know the distance between their two cells. Lamar Johnson's attorney, like many of us may feel right now, felt that William Mock wasn't credible. Nevertheless, his testimony played a major role in Lamar Johnson's trial. Although Lamar Johnson did not take the stand in his own trial, the defense did put his girlfriend, Erica Barrow, on the stand. She informed the jury that Lamar was with her at the time of the shooting. This was an effort to prove that Lamar Johnson couldn't have murdered Marcus Boyd because he was three miles away from the crime scene, and that within those five minutes that he was out of his girlfriend's sight, dealing drugs on the corner of Lafayette Avenue. He couldn't have traveled all the way to Marcus Boyd's home to kill him. However, the state called Detective Nickerson as a rebuttal witness to this. He testified that he'd driven the route between the addresses on Lafayette Avenue and Louisiana Avenue, where Marcus lived, between 20 to 50 times, including two weeks before the trial. He said the distance was only two miles one way and that Johnson could have driven there and killed Marcus Boyd in, quote, no more than five minutes, end quote. After hearing both sides, the prosecution and the defense, the trial was coming to a close. Soon, the jury was sent away to decide Lamar Johnson's fate. Ultimately, the jury came back with a guilty verdict after less than two hours of deliberations. In September 1995, Lamar Johnson was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. During the interim of Lamar's trial and sentencing hearing, he exchanged letters with the other suspect, Philip Campbell, who was still awaiting trial. In those letters, Philip admitted that Lamar was not involved in Marcus's murder. What's more, Philip admitted that himself and a man named James B.A. Howard were the ones responsible for the murder. After receiving those letters, Lamar tried to get a hearing about this new piece of evidence, but his request was denied. So Lamar Johnson, with legal help, filed a motion for a new trial, but again, he was denied. So Lamar Johnson sat in prison for the murder of Marcus Boyd for years, even though there was a letter out there admitting that Philip Campbell was responsible and that he knew who the other killer was. Years later, the Midwest Innocence Project took on Lamar Johnson's case, and in their research, they discovered new evidence. In 2003, the star witness, Greg Elking, then in prison for bank robbery, had written a letter to a clergyman admitting he lied at Lamar's trial. And in this letter to the clergyman, there was even more information that led Lamar's attorneys to question everything in the investigation. In the letter, Greg also revealed law enforcement said they could help him financially and relocate his family. Detective Nickerson and the prosecutor's office had put him in the witness protection program, and Greg's debts were paid off, and his outstanding traffic warrants were cleared. Altogether, Greg received more than $4,000 in payment, which you can see here in this ledger if you're watching on YouTube. However, none of this information was revealed to Lamar Johnson or his attorneys at the trial, and 
the jury also never heard about it. During research, it was also learned that prior to his sentencing, Philip Campbell executed his first sworn affidavit that Lamar Johnson had no involvement in Marcus Boyd's death. Philip Campbell executed a second affidavit repeating the same information in 2009, just before his death. And in 2002, 2005, and 2009, James B.A. Howard, who was never charged in the case, executed three affidavits that also said that Lamar Johnson wasn't involved. At the time when these affidavits were executed, Howard was serving a life sentence for a separate murder. I'm not sure why Lamar's case was not retried or overturned given that there were two men coming forward, admitting their guilt and professing Lamar's innocence. This wasn't made clear in my research, but it would turn out that even more information was uncovered by the Midwest Innocence Project and that more information was withheld from the jury during the trial. In 2018, St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kimberly Gardner agreed to look at Lamar Johnson's case. She had created a conviction integrity unit to look at cases of possible wrongful convictions, and so they took on Lamar's case. When her team looked deeper, they found more red flags. One of them was that the jury never heard that the jailhouse informant, William Mock, was a racist with a hatred for black people. The jury was also never told about the majority of the jailhouse informant's criminal record, but there was another red flag, and that was the timeline that the prosecution presented at trial. Detective Nickerson testified at Lamar's trial that Lamar could have driven from his alibi's house to Marcus Boyd's apartment in five minutes, even though Marcus Boyd's apartment was about three miles away. However, new mapping software showed it took about 11 minutes, so that contradicts Detective Nickerson's research in which he tested the drive out 20 to 50 times and came to the conclusion that the drive could have been done in five minutes. To add, there was no evidence presented at the trial that Johnson left the home on Lafayette Avenue for more than five minutes or that the gunman who killed Marcus Boyd drove off after shooting him. Detective Nickerson was arguing that the shooters drove away from the scene of the crime. However, this was not proven with evidence. Maybe the shooters ran away on foot. It turns out that for years, Lamar requested hearings to present this new evidence, but he was repeatedly denied. With the help of the Midwest Innocence Project and the St. Louis Circuit Attorney's Office, Lamar Johnson hoped that a judge would finally hear his case and that the new evidence could be presented. But even though the circuit attorney was convinced that Lamar was innocent, and even though she tried to get his conviction overturned, court after court, including the Missouri Supreme Court, said she didn't have the power. But in 2021, the Missouri legislature passed a law that gave the circuit court attorney and other prosecutors the power to bring cases of innocence to the court. And so a year later, Lamar received the opportunity he had been waiting for for 28 years. He would finally get a hearing to present new evidence in his case. The hearing lasted a week, and it started on December 12, 2022. After opening arguments, Lamar's team called their first witness, James Howard. This is the same person mentioned in the letters between Philip Campbell and Lamar Johnson. While on the stand, Howard admitted that he was one of the men who shot Marcus Boyd. He testified that he and Campbell decided to rob Marcus because Marcus owed one of their friends money, and that a scuffle ensued and he and Campbell shot and killed Marcus. He was asked if Lamar Johnson was ever there, and James Howard testified that no, Lamar Johnson was not at the scene of the crime. The next person called to testify is someone familiar to us, Greg Elking. On the stand, 
Greg was really candid. He said he felt pressured by Detective Nickerson to identify Lamar in the lineup. Greg told the court, quote, and I've been living with it 25, 28 years, and I'm telling you, I just wish I could change time, end quote. On day four of the hearing, Lamar Johnson took the stand, something he didn't do in his trial. This time, he finally had a chance to defend himself, tell his side of the story, and assert his innocence. The prosecution asked him about his conversation with Detective Nickerson a few days after the murder, in which Lamar said he voluntarily participated in the lineup. He said he volunteered himself because he didn't think he had anything to lose. He said on the stand, quote, I didn't commit the homicide. So why would I be concerned that I had everything to lose? End quote. After his testimony, the state's attorney called their first witness, Detective Nickerson. The detective denied ever pressuring Greg Elking to identify Lamar Johnson. He said, quote, Mr. Elking goes, hey, hey, I know who it is. It's number three in the first lineup, and it's number four in the second lineup, end quote. The state's attorney then asked him if he told Greg Elking to say that, and Detective Nickerson replied, quote, I didn't tell him to say anything, end quote. If you remember, Greg's identification revolved around Lamar's supposed lazy eye, but Nickerson testified at the hearing that nobody ever checked to see whether Lamar Johnson had this distinguishing feature. In addition, Nickerson said that Greg Elking was unable to make an identification after viewing Lamar Johnson's lineup three times. However, the jury didn't hear of this problem during the trial in 1995, and this information definitely could have swayed the jury's decision, along with the other information that was withheld from the jury, which was eventually revealed during this hearing. After five days of testimony, Lamar Johnson's freedom was in the judge's hands. Lamar Johnson waited at a St. Louis jail, hoping for the best outcome, hoping that someone would believe in his innocence. The judge called everyone back into the courtroom on February 14th, 2023, about two months after the hearing ended. And I can't imagine waiting two whole months, waiting that long for someone to decide your fate once again, worried they might get it wrong again. It must have felt like some of the longest two months in Lamar's life. But the time had come, and the judge's decision was finally made. After finding clear and convincing evidence of Lamar Johnson's innocence, the judge overturned his conviction. This meant Lamar Johnson was fully exonerated, and he walked out of that courtroom a free man. Lamar Johnson was convicted at 21 years old and locked up until the age of 49. Outside the courthouse, Lamar said, quote, I want to thank, first off, people who had information about the case and came forward with the truth. All of the people who came out and supported me. This is overwhelming. I just thank everybody. Just thank you. End quote. In an interview after his conviction was overturned, Lamar Johnson said, quote, Yes, I was making some poor choices then, and I take responsibility for that, but that wasn't the sum of who I was. End quote. And it wasn't the sum of who Marcus Boyd was either. Those who were close with Marcus didn't see him as some cold-hearted drug dealer. Marcus was actually more of the preppy type. He was just a regular guy trying to get by in life in a society that doesn't always make it easy. Marcus was known as a good guy who was always talking about his baby and his girlfriend, the ones he loved. And I want to say right now that some who may listen to this episode may feel like they can judge Lamar and Marcus because they sold drugs or because they may have had a criminal past. They may think that what happened to them was what they deserved, but no one deserves what happened to them. So please don't come into my comment section blaming these victims. No one is all bad 
and no one is all good. Everything has nuance, especially human lives, and everyone deserves justice in a fair trial, no matter what they've done. Ultimately, justice was served for Marcus Boyd and for Lamar Johnson. And that's what's so important, right? That justice is served properly and ethically. In the true crime community, we are always seeking justice for the victims. But justice should only be valued when it is honorable and honest in its execution. When it lacks ethics and professionalism, in truth, it can just lead to further injustice. We shouldn't be forsaking these things just to say we caught a killer or just to say we brought a family closure. It should be about catching the right killer, the true person responsible for the crime, the real person who is a danger to society. When police and prosecutors rely on dishonest tactics or unreliable information to convict a suspect, they only perpetuate further injustice and allow the real culprits to roam free, while the innocent lose years of their lives in prison. Years they can't get back. And that's what I can't help but think about. The years Lamar Johnson's family and friends lost while he was wrongfully imprisoned. The years his children didn't have with their father. The years Lamar was stripped of watching his children grow. There aren't many times we can say a black man who was wrongfully convicted got a second chance at living his life as a free man. Lamar Johnson's story is a triumph, and I hope it becomes a standard for other cases where people have been wrongfully convicted and are seeking innocence and freedom in the courts and the world's eyes. It is the end of the episode, which means it's time to share your thoughts and opinions about this case. What are your thoughts about this case? whether it's Marcus Boyd's murder or Lamar Johnson's wrongful conviction. Please remember to be respectful and kind in the comments. I'll see you in the next episode.